This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to another episode of the Diabetes Knowledge into Practice podcast, bringing you news, views and updates in diabetes care. This series is CME accredited and this episode is accredited for up to 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. So to claim your credits, go to diabetes.knowledgeintopractice.com to complete a pre and post activity assessment. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Eli Lilly, who have had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. Today will be a summary of all the latest data on the effects of SGLT2 inhibitors on heart failure outcomes. To start the episode, we'll explore the latest clinical findings and updated guidelines before hearing perspectives on how this translates into clinical care for heart failure from Dr. Javid Butler who's Professor and Chairman of the Department of Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi in the US. You can find Professor Butler's disclosures and all the references discussed today in the episode notes. In late 2020, we published an episode looking at the management of diabetes and heart failure when both present together. Since then, a wealth of evidence has been published on the cardiovascular benefits of sodium glucose co-transporter type 2 or SGLT2 inhibitors in people with heart failure with or without type 2 diabetes. These findings have led to expanded indications for some of these agents for heart failure. Today, we'll examine these data and their relevance in clinical practice in the setting of type 2 diabetes and heart failure. Initially developed to treat type 2 diabetes, SGLT2 inhibitors have also emerged as effective agents in the treatment of heart failure and kidney disease. In a recent European Heart Journal article, Eugene Brownwald called SGLT2 inhibitors the statins of the 21st century and one of the major pharmacological advances in cardiovascular medicine. Evidence of the therapeutic benefit of SGLT2 inhibitors on cardiovascular outcomes in people with type 2 diabetes and established heart failure was demonstrated in several clinical trials. Two randomised placebo-controlled trials of SGLT2 inhibitors in patients with ejection fraction of 40% or less found significant reductions in cardiovascular-related death and hospitalisation for heart failure. These were DAPA-HF assessing dapagliflozin and Emperor Reduced assessing empagliflozin. These benefits were consistent across most subgroups, including those based on age, sex, impaired renal function, and in patients with or without diabetes. Since then, the Emperor Preserved trial of empagliflozin, which enrolled patients with ejection fraction greater than 40%, provided the first evidence of a cardioprotective effect of an SGLT2 inhibitor on the combined risk of cardiovascular death or hospitalisation for heart failure in patients with preserved ejection fraction, or HEF-PEF, and again this benefit was seen across patients with and without diabetes. Lead author Stefan Anker said that these were the first results to show unequivocal benefit of any drug on major heart failure outcomes in heart failure and preserved ejection fraction. Further results from this class include the SOLOIS-WHF trial, which trialled sotagliflozin in a group of patients with diabetes and a recent episode of acutely decompensated heart failure. The trial indicated that sotagliflozin reduced a composite endpoint of cardiovascular mortality, hospitalizations, and urgent visits for either HEF-PEF or HEF-REF. A similar trial called DELIVER is ongoing and is designed to evaluate the effects of dapagliflozin on heart failure outcomes in patients with heart failure with mildly reduced and preserved left ventricular ejection fraction. 
Based on the results of DAPA-HF and EMPRA-reduced trials, dapagliflozin and empagliflozin were approved by the EMA for treating HEFREF and likewise by the FDA to reduce the risk of cardiovascular death and hospitalisation for heart failure in adults with HEFREF. Furthermore, in February of this year, the FDA approved an expanded indication for empagliflozin to reduce the risk of cardiovascular death and hospitalisation for heart failure in adults with HEFPEF. Sotagliflozin, a dual inhibitor of both SGLT1 and SGLT2, is approved by the EMA for type 1 diabetes, but has not yet been approved by the FDA. According to the latest update of the European Society of Cardiology guidelines for the diagnosis and treatment of acute and chronic heart failure, the SGLT2 inhibitors dapagliflozin and empagliflozin are now recommended for treatment of HEFREF. The guideline update from the American College of Cardiology American Heart Association and Heart Failure Society of America launched in April of this year brought a number of changes in terminology and added SGLT2 inhibitor recommendations. The terminology conforms with the universal definition of heart failure proposed in a recent report on the universal definition and classification of heart failure in conjunction with the European Society of Cardiology and other organisations globally. According to both guidelines, the new foundational standard for guideline-directed medical therapy for HEFREF comprises quadruple therapy with angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitors, or ARNI, evidence-based beta blockers, mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists, and SGLT2 inhibitors. However, differences remain in the approach to standard therapy for patients in these two guidelines, both in the treatment of HEFREF and HEFPEF. So what do these findings mean for clinicians involved in the care of patients with diabetes and heart failure? Joining us today to bring us up to speed with the latest developments and answer some of our questions is Professor Javid Butler, who's Chairman of the Department of Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi. His disclosures are available in the episode notes. So firstly, we know that taken together, the DAPA-HF and EMPRA reduced trials showed that dapagliflozin and empagliflozin reduced the risk of heart failure outcomes in people with existing HEFREF. What else have we learned about SGLT2 inhibitors in this patient population? Yeah, so, you know, what's interesting about the two trials uh, with SGLT2 inhibitors and heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, DAPA-HF, dapagliflozin, and EMPRA reduced uh, with uh, uh, empagliflozin uh, is really the consistency of the benefit. I mean, you know, I, I usually, when I uh, give some teaching lectures, I say that if I were to take out all the letters and words and numbers from the slides and just put the Kaplan-Meier curve, people may not be able to differentiate which trial is which because there was almost identical benefit, about 25% relative risk reduction in the primary endpoint. Uh, and the trial uh, included a little bit of a different patient population, right? I mean, DAPA-HF had GFR 30 cutoff, Emperor reduced had a GFR of 20 cutoff. The overall NT-proBNP levels were higher, uh, and the annualized event rate in DAPA-HF was around 15, and in Emperor reduced was around 20, so it was a sicker population. So across the spectrum, you saw a consistency of benefit. Uh, you saw benefit across uh, the uh, endpoints which were studied, which was mortality, hospitalization, recurrent hospitalization, quality of life, and then renal function. So, so there was consistency. Uh, and then finally, there was consistency uh, of benefit regardless of baseline therapy. So whether you were on RNA therapy or you were not on RNA therapy. And obviously, the biggest, the biggest question people had in their mind 
is that, you know, I mean, will the benefit only be uh, seen in patients with diabetes or are they truly cardiovascular risk modifying agent? And irrespective of diabetes, you'll see the benefit. And as we know, uh, the benefit was seen regardless whether somebody has diabetes or not. So I, I, this is in nutshell, uh, sort of the totality of evidence we got from those two trials. Could you briefly summarize what you and your colleagues found in the Emperor Preserved study of empagliflozin? Yeah, so Emperor Preserved study was sort of the, the sister study to Emperor Reduced trial, about 6,000 patients in heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. And again, I mean, you know, it, it's remarkable how consistent the benefit on heart failure hospitalization is with this class of drugs. Uh, so again, a 21% relative risk reduction, highly statistically significant for the primary endpoint, recurrent hospital hospitalization first and, and combined all uh, were reduced by about 27% relative risk reduction. Again, the same signal, EGFR preservation, quality of life uh, uh, improvement, uh, and very safe and very well tolerated uh, uh, overall. In fact, uh, I don't want to uh, undermine uh, the, the importance of side effects, uh, but nevertheless, just by taking some simple precautions, we actually found no difference uh, in uh, ketoacidosis or hypoglycemia between the two arms. So well tolerated and the benefits were seen. So we truly have now found a therapy that works in heart failure, irrespective of ejection fraction across the entire spectrum. And uh, now we are uh, eagerly awaiting a delivered trial with dapagliflozin and HEFPEF. And uh, again, similar to Emperor Reduce and DAPA-HF, you know, diabetes, no diabetes doesn't matter and baseline therapy didn't matter. And what do these findings mean for this complex group of patients? Yeah, so, you know, there is a, an interesting sort of debate out there that, you know, is ejection fraction moot now? And, you know, uh, has heart failure community moved beyond ejection fraction? And at least in my opinion, the answer is absolutely no. I mean, ejection fraction is absolutely critical uh, because uh, all the other therapies, especially device therapies, uh, all the evidence is based on specific ejection fraction. Having said that, what we have learned now from these trials and this indication that at least when it comes to an SGLT2 inhibitor, once you get a diagnosis of heart failure, uh, you can just start these drugs while you are doing all your other evaluation and your cardiac cath and ischemia evaluation and other testing that you're doing. Also, remember that these drugs are very potent in preventing new onset heart failure in type 2 diabetes and in CKD patients as uh, they were studied. Uh, so I cannot make that, that comment overall for, for any person for prevention of heart failure, but at least in these two high-risk groups, type 2 diabetes with risk factors and with uh, CKD, they prevent heart failure. So you're really talking about the spectrum from high-risk prevention to heart failure with reduced to heart failure with preserved, chronic heart failure, de novo heart failure, acute heart failure. I mean, you know, we have data for all of these categories. Uh, so at least for this drug category, you get a diagnosis of heart failure, rule out some really secondary causes like, you know, surgical causes, pericardial uh, uh, constriction or, or tight aortic stenosis. Short of that, don't worry about the etiology, just give these therapies. Moving on, how does the SOLO-SWHF trial differ from other cardiovascular outcome trials? Yeah, so that's sort of, you know, one of the things that at least the, the clinical trialist world and the, and the scientist world are really interested, but I am getting more and more uh, worried that we'll never get an answer. So Solowis trial was targeted only in patients with diabetes, only in patients with worsening heart failure. So unlike the EMPA-DEPA trial, 
that had a much wider group of patients enrolled. This was targeted to worsening heart failure, either hospitalized, recently discharged, and only type 2 diabetes. This was supposed to be about a 5,000 or so patient trial. There were some funding issues, COVID issues, et cetera, and they, they decided to stop the trial after 1,000 or so, 1,200 or so patients. And the bottom line is that the, the results were spectacularly positive, even in that uh, small group of patients. So that's, in a way, sort of not a big deal because it's consistent across all the other uh, trials that we are seeing, and there's yet another piece of evidence. What's interesting uh, about that trial is that sodagliflozin is not only an SGLT2 inhibitor, it's a combined SGLT2, SGLT1 inhibitor as well. So it is pharmacodynamically a little bit difficult, uh, different in terms of its mechanism of action. There was a pretty strong signal of vascular benefit also. So if you look at SGLT2 inhibitor as a class, there are very potent uh, benefits in terms of heart failure and in terms of chronic kidney disease. Uh, but the vascular benefit, atherosclerotic, you know, stroke and MIs, uh, they are kind of uh, not, not as impressive. Whereas with SOTA, those results were pretty impressive. So the question is, does this addition of SGLT1 uh, have atherosclerotic benefit which extend beyond uh, SGLT2 inhibitors alone? Having said that, I mean, that's a nice signal, but it's only, you know, a small study, a thousand patient, and it really needs a large study to, to replicate those findings because if that's the case, then there may be a differentiation there. Uh, but, but I have a hint for that, but I don't know that for sure. So putting this all together, there's clear evidence of a cardioprotective benefit of SGLT2 inhibitors. Are the mechanisms behind this well understood? Yeah, so the answer is yes and no. So if you're asking me, do we know much about the mechanism of action? The answer is absolutely yes. But as a clinician, uh, I and my colleagues have a tendency that uh, you want you, you want a simple story that you know you give a drug A that works on a pathway B that results in, a, in an outcome C, uh, and that linear model uh, really doesn't work because human biology is uh, is complex. What we do know from the type two diabetes studies uh, that the beginning hemoglobin A1C, the the ending hemoglobin A1C, and the delta changes in hemoglobin A1C did not correlate with heart failure benefit. In other words glycemic control was not the driver of outcome benefit. Subsequently, we have either had animal studies or human studies that show that these drugs are associated with improvement in cardiac structure and function. So LVH reduction, reverse remodeling, diastology improvement, atrial function, fibrosis, et cetera, vascular structure and function. So uh, things like endothelial function, aortic stiffness, renal function preservation, decrease intragromerular pressures and uh, uh, natural releases, uh, sodium hydrogen exchange blocket, and then a whole bunch of systemic effects like inflammation, oxidative stress, neurohormonal activation, uh, 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 mitochondrial efficiency in terms of uh, uh, fatty acid oxidation or low-level ketosis, more ATP production, autophagy, uh, uh, calcium homeostasis because of sodium hydrogen exchange uh, blockade in the heart. So one can go on and on. The bottom line is uh, that, that there are several quick lessons one can glean from that. One, human biology is complex and these drugs work on a multiple host of mechanisms. And that can make you understand why the same drug may be beneficial for prevention and uh, 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 manifest heart failure with reduced and preserved ejection fraction because of this broad uh, uh, evidence base. And, and uh, it can also make you understand why these drugs are really cardiovascular risk-modifying agent irrespective of diabetes. And what should diabetologists and endocrinologists take from these findings to implement in their practice? 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm really glad that you asked me this question. So first, uh, just because we now have data that the benefit of SGLT2 inhibitors extend beyond patients with diabetes for cardiovascular and renal risk modulation does not mean they are not good anti-diabetic drugs. They can be both. Uh, so we have a lot of data and the right place to start, uh, at least in patients with diabetes, is before they develop CKD, before they develop heart failure, because these drugs will prevent those complications. And they are good adjunct medications uh, with diet and uh, exercise for glucose control. So they are legitimate anti-diabetic drug, but they have cardiovascular risk modifying agent beyond diabetes. Second uh, is that irrespective of diabetes in patients with heart failure, these drugs should be used. In patients with CKD, these drugs should be used. There are more data coming out in acute heart failure and in post-MI patients as well. So one, for our diabetologist colleagues, please start these drugs early in your type 2 diabetes patients. And two, if you end up seeing a patient who the cardiologist has started this drug, uh, uh, but, but there's no clear diabetes indication, please don't stop it because indications are broader than just diabetes. And finally, what's your take-home message for diabetologists and endocrinologists? So, I mean, the biggest thing is that there is uh, some sort of a juvenile debate out there. Oh, you know, do these drugs belong to diabetologists or cardiologists or, or uh, uh, you know, primary care? And obviously, these drugs sort of belong to patients and, and disease. And, and uh, wherever the touch point is for the patient, these drugs should be uh, started. Uh, so uh, my uh, comment, again, goes back to you know, once you develop heart failure, your prognosis gets so much worse uh, that uh, as cliche as it may sound, really the best treatment of heart failure is prevention of heart failure. So at least from a diabetes perspective, if you have type 2 diabetes, just if we can start these drugs irrespective of glycemic control issues. In other words, not as an add-on because you did X, Y, Z and the blood glucose is not under control. No, no, no. We, we need to really get out of that mindset. And if you have type 2 diabetes with either atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or risk for it, even in the absence of manifest atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, please let's these start these agents as soon as possible to prevent uh, cardiorenal complications. This brings us to the end of today's time. To conclude, it's been shown that SGLT2 inhibitors have cardioprotective benefits in patients with heart failure in the presence or absence of type 2 diabetes. And this has been shown across a wide range of ventricular function, though the available evidence varies between members of this class. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to claim CME credits for listening, go to diabetes.knowledgeintopractice.com to complete an assessment. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast to stay up to date and leave us a review or rating to help other people find us. See you next time.